Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from LCP Delta. I'm John Sloan. And I'm Sandra Trittin. And together we are exploring how the energy transition is unfolding across Europe through conversations with guests from the leading edge of the transition. Hello and welcome to the episode. Today, Sandra and I will be talking about the LCP Delta New Energy Summit. Sandra, I got home at about uh, midnight last night. How about you? Um, I was a bit quicker actually, but not but not a lot. Um, but also due to the reason that I stayed pretty long, uh, keep on discussing with the people because it was quite interesting. Yeah. So for those that don't know our uh, summit, it's a gathering of this year about 110 people over a couple of days from a mixture of energy retailers, um, product manufacturers, finance sector, who else, Sandra? Quite a range of companies. Um, te- technology providers, right? And then also new energy companies. So like the new entrants, new solution providers. And from across Europe, um, mm-hmm. from Japan and uh, in Frankfurt this year. Sandra, it's one of those trips when I went from the airport to the hotel. I don't think I even walked outside of the hotel and then I went from the hotel to back to the airport. So sorry, Frankfurt, I didn't get to see any of you this time. So next time you just have to stay at a different hotel overnight yeah. because at least uh, I got to see a little bit around, but not not much. Uh, but it was quite busy because there were several famous concerts in that area as well during the two days. Ah, could have been quite an interesting energy music yes. combination. <laughs> so what we thought we'd do today is talk about the key themes that came out of the discussions and panel sessions at the summit. And Sandra and I have each picked our, identified our top three themes, and we genuinely haven't shared them with each other. So what we'll do is uh, hear each other's top three see Mm -hmm. what we've got in common that's different and then should we unpack them a bit after that Sandra? Yes sounds like a plan. You want to start or should I? You start. Okay okay so so first of all I think there there were many interesting topics Um, there was no specific hype topic you know as it was Mm. like some years ago for example with blockchain or anything yeah, or um, when when Google bought Nest and everyone saw exactly, oh, Google's or, coming to the energy market. Exactly, or hydrogen or mm. something. So I think it was covering quite a broad knowledge base also and many different topics and areas of interest. The three I picked for myself, which I found most interesting, is one on the technical side, which is all around the technical integration and standardization. I think we heard that several times from manufacturers, um, from solution providers, uh, but also from the retailers saying like, we need to get this technical stuff going together, right? Integration between heat pumps and inverters and storage and chargers and smart home appliances, et cetera. There just need to be a way of getting this done in the long run in an easy way. And to integrate and to provide there something to the to the customer. So this is one topic. The second one is all around the commercialization of solutions and doing that in a 
consumer-centric way, meaning we are all energy geeks. Uh, we ha all have normally enough uh, knowledge around the, the technology and how everything works. But the normal, let's say, consumer on the street outside, um, he needs to have some help and yeah. some explanation, but also have it as simple as possible to understand for him. Yeah. So um, there was one there was one um, presentation where it was said that now we are going from the early adopters into the follower customer segment. Um, but this follower customer segment has quite some different needs than the early adopters, which are normally quite close to the geeks like us. Like us. So yeah. I think that that was pretty interesting to see. It's the commercialization, it's new business models, but all from a consumer point of view. Have you read the book Crossing the Chasm, which is about going no. from, so it's exactly about going from innovators to, uh, or the early adopters to the followers, and how hmm. a lot mm -hmm. of businesses never manage to cross this chasm yeah. between the two. They get stuck mm -hmm. in the innovators or the early adopters, and they never make it to the mass market. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess that's yeah, exactly the point you're making. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then the the last one, and this was the most surprising one to me, not only on your summit, but in, in general that I hear this year um, mm. on, on different kind of conferences is around financing. So it seems there is enough money in the markets. It's probably not the optimal timing in terms of valuation, etc. But there's so much money which is seeking a home. I think this is how you phrased it at the end of the of the summit. Mm -hmm. But the question is, it's it seems there is no connection between the money and the market. Yeah. So um, I'm asking myself, how how can we support that and uh, bring that forward to bring the money into the market? Um, coming back from a different from a from another event uh, two weeks ago. It, it was quite impressive because on one side you have a panel with an installer sitting there and saying like, oh, and these are the concrete challenges we are having when getting a heat pump into the home and like technical challenges, um, physical challenges with the wiring, etc. But then on the other side, this guy should also sell the heat pump for over 30,000 euros. Right? Yeah. And then you had the next panel talking around the financing and saying like, Oh, and then you can bundle the assets and you can structure them and then you can market them to some pension fund or whatever. I, the, the discrepancy could not have been bigger between the two stories, right? And how yeah. to bring these two together, I think, was was one interesting point, point for me. And I have not found the solution yet, but uh, I hope that some of the players in the market will do soon. You found the found the question but yeah there's yeah but not uh, the answer yeah, yeah yeah but now i'm curious to hear about your three points okay so i'm going to start with um one that's the same uh which was okay. the uh the finance point so mm -hmm. yeah I've, I've written down on my notebook um the need for service-based propositions so mm -hmm. In a way, exactly what you say, creating the creating a home for this finance through propositions that um, 
are no upfront cost propositions for customers around mm-hmm. a heat pump or solar and storage or mm-hmm. uh, potentially even charging as a service, EV charges. So, yeah, find that connecting that all of that money that's mm-hmm. looking for a home. And the onus is a bit on the finance sector to understand the energy sector, but possibly more on the energy sector to create the types of homes for that finance that are going to work. Um, mm-hmm. so finance was one. And the second. So one one is the overlap. So yep. one bingo. One bingo <laughs> point. Yeah. <laughs> um, a second one around customer centricity, which I think links mm-hmm. a little bit to your second point. But uh, yeah. so I wrote down lots of people talking about it, but very few people doing it. Yeah. Um, and in and in which way would you would you understand this point consumer centric approach probably so a bit more details yeah so i think i still hear people talking about the customer but mm-hmm. to your point there are so many different types of customer segments and what i did like the event was a couple of people talking about taking customers on journeys. Mm-hmm. So um, I think a lot of customers are really confused about what the right thing to do is. And when they're confused, the default answer is to do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can work with customers to inform them, empower them, collaborate with them, then you can really help customers to make the right decisions. But you need true customer centricity to do that, not just to yeah. say we're customer centric. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't see, I still see a huge way to go for the energy sector to be truly more customer centric, organize themselves mm-hmm. around their customers yeah. and talk to customer segments and individual customers in ways that work for those customers. Mm-hmm. And then my third point was, I think, diff- so that's similar to some of the things you were saying. Third yeah. point is, is diff- so maybe half a bingo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one and a half. One probably. and a half. Yeah, the third one is different and uh, around residential flexibility and mm-hmm. how I think its time is coming quite soon. Uh, I mean, you could argue its time is there already to a point, but I think yeah. we're going to see more and more value unlocked mm-hmm. um, in the next years. Maybe that's a sort of a quarter linkage with your tech integration and standardization because as part of part of capturing the value from that flexibility you need a certain amount of integration yeah Yeah, i guess yeah but it's interesting that you're mentioning that residential flexibility and that it's showing up so what would be your guess how long will it take until it's really there i mean it's a it's almost Mm. a crystal ball question right yeah just out of your gut feeling so i think in some markets where so if you look at some of the nordic markets where you've already got dynamic tariffs Mm -hmm. and you've got quite progressive regulation around residential assets being able to be aggregated for the the tso you've got um probably still pilots around distribution network congestion and flexibility supporting that so in some areas, I think we're probably only one, two, three years away from 
mm-hmm. it becoming more standardized so that a retailer could create an offer that would work for a lot of their customers. And how much would you think is are, are the dynamic tariffs at the moment a driver for that residential flexibility? Would you think it's the main cause that it's now kicking off? I think it creates a starting point mm-hmm. because conceptually it's in the Nordics, the hourly tariff, the dynamic tariffs are cost reflective. In yeah. other markets, there's, I would say, some sort of semi-commercial dynamic tariffs where people are experimenting mm-hmm. with it. But conceptually, it's really easy to understand. Okay, I charge my car at this time or I shift my demand mm-hmm. at that time. And technically, you're not dealing with lots of interoperability. You're just dealing with maybe one EV charger or one EV and the tariff. So I think that's a really easy starting point but Mm -hmm. I think there's so much more to then layer on top of that and not every customer will want a dynamic tariff so Mm -hmm. some might want a fixed bill and to see that flexibility they they just want to know their car's charged and in the background their energy retailer aggregators moving the charging around creating value from that and then sharing some of that value back with the customer in maybe Mm -hmm. a fixed bill offer so yeah, I, I think I think that's pretty interesting what, what you're mentioning, right? These two kind of different business models that are rising in that area, which is either the, I call it more the explicit um, flexibility um, offering, which relates to the car charger with dynamic tariffs and it's fully clear to the customer what, what's happening and what's going on. And it's probably also somehow understandable for the customer. Yeah. Or there are these implicit flexibility solutions, as you were mentioning, it's somewhere packaged and then probably just uh, given back to the client with a fixed energy bill price or something. But it's not really mentioned what's going on or, or why, um, because in that case, it's also not of so much interest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, customer centricity, finance, residential flexibility. Your three, tech integration and standardization, commercialization of solutions in a consumer-centric way, and yep. financing. So. so one three-quarter of a bingo. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would have been, I, I think that's maybe, Sandra, is it that reflective of how much there is to do at the customer end of the energy transition? There's so many things to work on it's not one thing to fix and then hey everything off it goes yeah i i think there there's one point which we also have to to get in or or to keep in mind right the consumer centricity is normally relevant once you design a product that you think from the consumer end Hmm. but the even more important point is around the communication and the education of the customer i mean luckily now it's getting more and more common to talk around, um, yeah, let's say flexibility, demand response, etc. Also with that big trial in the UK mm. uh, from beginning, like from last winter, right? Um, so people are getting more and more into these topics, but I think there's still a long way to go because we have to make it as easy for them to understand as possible. And I always give the example that we had uh, at Tico where one of our first flyers was like six pages and we tried to explain like 
our customers would help to balance the grid and we made like nice pictures in comic style, etc. But people were looking at us afterwards and having big question marks and it took us weeks to develop that flyer and to make it really simple, nice looking. And we said like, wow, but now we tried our best. We tried to make it simple. Um, and then afterwards we took the next flyer and we just reduced it to four lines yeah. saying like, oh, and by the way, you are helping to stabilize the grid. It's um, in your in your advantage. We will make sure that you are never cold or you never have a disadvantage out of doing that. And that was it. And no one was asking it. And it worked. Uh, yeah, and it worked out, right? So just to give you that example, I think this communication, but also education, not, not hiding anything. Yeah. But making it as simple to understand and as easy to understand, I think is really important. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's a big, big um, task to do, to work on. And I don't think the energy sector has been particularly good at that. No, because in the past it was not necessary, right? If yeah. you sell a if you sell a, a contract, an energy contract, it was pretty simple. I mean, you get electrons, and then at one point in time, the retailers were able to explain there are green electrons and blue electrons out of water mm. and mm. yellow electrons out of solar. Um, but besides that, um, there was never the need to go further. Yeah, and do you see many? Good examples of that today, Sandra. Like, I don't know. There's, you know, Tico's not the only company to go through that journey. Yeah. The, those examples that you described. Um, are you filled with optimism about that challenge, or do you think it's going to be? It's really, really hard to get right, and we've got a long way to go to get that through that learning and trying different things. Mm. So I, th I think we are still at the beginning, right? Um, also that we, we even have to align on our jargon and how we use different phrases yeah. in the long run. But I think this will come over time by itself. I think there are more and more companies also focusing on that part of communication and and um, yeah, education of the customer. Mm. But it's it's still it's still some way some way to go. One topic neither of us mentioned in our top three but we did chat about in Frankfurt was partnerships and that's true I guess the you know we're now talking about language and communications we're talking about uh, standardization and tech integration talking about taking customers on journeys no one company is going to have all these skills no 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 and I, as we discussed in Frankfurt as um, as we said there Many, many of the participants were talking around partnerships, right? Even on stage during their presentations and saying like, oh, and then we are looking for partnerships or we want to partner up. But if it's really true, then as I mentioned, normally we should use your event as a business matchmaking and there should be at least four or five matches coming out afterwards where you could say, yeah. okay, this will be a new product or a new way on how to approach the market or how to approach the consumer. So I'm not really sure on how, how serious the companies are seeing that, but yeah. what's your reflection on that point? I think people in partnerships makes people nervous because it's like, well, how long are we partnering for? I think people understand that they don't always have the skills. You've still got occasional mm. debates about 
do we build it or buy it? Um, yeah. But even when people understand, okay, we probably should partner. It's like, how do you structure that partnership? Um, do you do a trial? And I know in Tico, you know, there's the there's the death by a hundred trials because yeah. you could spend your whole life trialing and doing nothing. Yeah. Um, do you partner with someone that might be your competitor in a few years? Does it actually matter? And do you just have to have a more relaxed attitude to doing things together? Um, so. Yeah. But, yeah. I, but I think there is a point of just being honest with each other. So especially if you're working at a technology provider, there's always the fear if you're going into a partnership that in three years from now, the, the partner will do it themselves, right? Yeah. And we can see that quite regularly happen in the market. Mm. Um, some companies want to have a quick market entry. They are looking for a technology partner. And then after two, three years, they are saying, oh, but now we do it ourselves. So... Thank you very much, dear partner, but uh, time is ending. I think as long as this is clear from the beginning, then it can be fine for both sides, right? Mm. Because then it's clear enough, the pricing and this legal setup of the partnership can be done in a way that it reflects this kind of improvement or evolvement of the process. I think it only doesn't work if it's not clear from the beginning. And then for sure you have the exceptions, right, where where it changes over time, just during the during the project. So these are more the exceptions, but most often companies, especially on the technology development, they know if they want to do it themselves in the long run or not. Yeah, yeah. Well, Sandra, let's, um, let's get the Talking New Energy crystal ball out. And instead of asking our guests to uh, wind forward to a year in the future, let's do that ourselves. So, Let's go to 2030 and let's uh, go through each of our three points and just give a, an elevator picture as to where we'll be <laughs> in 2030 with each of these points. So let's alternate and go one by one. So you start with one and then I'll do one. Okay. So I will start with the technical integration and standardization. Mm -hmm. I think in some areas we will have made quite some improvement in 2030 meaning that um, protocols, for example, in the charging space like OCPP, etc., will really become the standard and there will be not even a question around it. Unfortunately, my assumption is that there will be still some exceptions, especially my feeling tells me in the heating and mm. in the solar space where manufacturers are still trying to protect their garden, um, meaning their cloud access, um, by not following a standardization. Yeah. But this this is more a feeling, but I hope that it will improve over over time. I have a similar that feeling. We, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, customer centricity, will that really be, uh, will it be really in practice rather than words by 2030? And here I am quite optimistic actually um i i think there's enough examples i'm seeing already we had our two sponsors uh Elite mm -hmm. and netgrid who i think are embodying the types of customer centricity and journeying that i talked about so um i think over the next years we'll see more and more good examples and 
then quickly the industry is sort of racing towards this becoming the norm. So I'm mm-hmm. quite optimistic about that. Yeah, I could. I I, I would join you on that. Um, okay. I would take the commercialization and the business model as the next one based on the consumer centricity. And actually also there, I'm quite optimistic. Um, and I think we will see it pretty soon over the next, let's say, 24 months, especially uh, for the reason that at the moment there's quite an oversupply of uh, technology in the market, right? Either heat pumps, solar, etc. And um, the the um, sales channels will ha- will need to have a look on how how to get it out um and for sure there will be some competition based on pricing but once you you arrive like to a certain price floor you don't want to go further down right because then you will ruin the market mm. so in the end the only way on how to differentiate then at one point in time will be through this specific thought on how how can I make an attractive and integrated business model for the client? So this is why I'm also quite optimistic for that 2030 goal. Yeah, I agree. And I think there there are some really great front runners in the market yep. uh, demonstrating yeah. this today. Exactly. Yeah. So from my side, I'll do residential flexibility next. By, by 2030, mm-hmm. I believe in some European markets we'll see residential flexibility um, being the the value being of the several tens of euros uh, a year, possibly the hundreds of euros a year, and it being something that is maybe not part of every customer's um, bill, but a lot of customers Mm -hmm. will be seeing uh, material benefits from the flexibility they can provide to the system. Yeah, I think I would I would join you on that, especially on that point with the fragmentation, that you will have different markets, but in the different markets also different products, um, to monetize that flexibility. Yeah, um, yeah, and then I have the last one, right? The finance. Yep, we both have that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So on the finance side, I'm not as optimistic as with the other ones. I have to say. Why? Um, just because I think the gap between the industry, like the the energy industry and the finance industry is still too big. And we need people who are helping and supporting to cover that gap. Um, We heard a few presentations on the summit, right, where people are making an attempt, but it's still, it's like even different languages that people are talking. Um, meaning like different phrases, different words. There, there is no overlap in mm. the end. Mm. Um, besides the besides the point that both want to bring the energy transition forward and both of them want to earn money. Mm. Um, and also, what we heard is that over the next one to three years, the the situation with the with the market valuations etc. might not get as good as we would be hoping for. So we will face some delay. Nevertheless, for sure, it's it's better than than today. I also want to be an optimistic person. <laughs> I, I'm but you're a realist as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and so I think there is there is most of the work to be done. Yeah, I'm. My biggest question with the finance, the area of finance, is 
will the market, will energy providers, energy solutions company, energy retailers, will they be successful in creating service-based mm-hmm. business models? And I still hear too much of, oh, that won't work because of this or that or that. Yeah. And yet, you know, we can point to examples of companies that are making this work today, but it's almost like a shift in mindset to actually Mm -hmm. show what's possible to create, not to focus on the negatives and the can't do's, but to to really pioneer and push uh, a proposition where a heat pump is financed or a house Mm -hmm. refurbishment or renovation is financed. That would be my yeah. biggest worry about the finance area. Uh, I think I'm a bit yeah. more optimistic than you about yeah. the the two worlds meeting. Uh, yeah, let's do our best. Yeah, to make that happen. I, yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, I think pro- Sandra were probably both glass half full people by nature. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Looking to 2030, um, and I think what we certainly learned in Frankfurt was the the passion and the energy and the motivation of everyone in the room to to drive the energy transition forward so um, yeah and and I think it's it's great to see right that people are also not giving up yeah because we all know about the challenges and the difficulties but people are going through it and saying like hey we have to find solutions we have to go the way forward and also with all the companies' presentations that were given, uh, these are really um, amazing solutions and also stories which are behind um, when the when especially when the founders were were presenting. Yeah, it was very inspiring, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Great. Well, let's leave it there for this week. Um, yes. And I think we'll both have a relaxing weekend after all that travel <laughs> and intensity of, uh, of the couple well, of days of yeah. For sure. Uh, and if, if anyone has further questions, they can always reach out to us, right? Yeah. Keep the discussion going. Exactly. Uh, thanks everyone for listening and look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode soon. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. We are excited to bring you captivating conversations from the leading edge of Europe's energy transitions. If you've got suggestions for topics or guests for future episodes, please let us know. And if you're enjoying the podcast, then please do rate it and share it with colleagues. For show notes, transcripts and more, please visit lcpdelta.com.